You know, I've learned when you keep your eyes on Jesus, he reveals things to you in many ways. Now, at the beginning of the week, usually what I do is I'll go home after Sunday. Sunday night, I'll start praying for the Holy Spirit to give me the sermon for next week. Pray and I wait. I prayed and I waited and finally about, I think it was Tuesday, he answered me and he said, go talk to your wife and ask her. So I did as the Holy Spirit willed me to do, and Stephanie talked to me about two passages of Scripture. I went right to her, asked her, that came right out. That's how God works. It's pretty neat. She talked about 2 Corinthians 5-7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, many of us know these passages, but do we comprehend the full weight and meaning of them? My wife was absolutely correct in saying that these verses go hand in hand. When we walk or live by faith, we lean on the understanding of God to trust and acknowledge him, but when we walk or live by sight, we depend upon our own reasoning and the falsehoods of a fallen world. So there's a huge difference. Let me give you an example. Turn to Mark 8, Mark 8, 29 and 30. Mark 8, 29 and 30. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Here, Peter was walking by faith. He was keeping his eyes on understandings of Jesus Christ. Peter was recognizing Christ's deity, but right after this, we see how fast that Peter again falls back into walking by human sight. Look at verses 31 through 33. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Unwittingly, Peter had just became a mouthpiece for Satan. Inadvertently being used thinking he was protecting Jesus, but Jesus came to die for us. Peter was not setting his mind on the things of God, God's ways, God's plans, God's purposes. Instead, his mind was set on the things of man upon human ideals. Jesus specified that the cross was God's will, the plan of redemption for all mankind. Jesus knew he had to die. He had his eyes on the Father. The Christian outlook is to be one of everlasting from the mindset of Jesus Christ. We are to have an eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-17 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. We are now a new creation. 
As Christians, we no longer see human beings as only flesh and bones. But we now see all of us as spiritual beings. We no longer see life and death. But we also now see heaven and hell. We see saved and lost souls. Our view has been transformed from the focal point of the world toward the focal point of God in heaven. But materialistic viewpoints and selfish worldly gains are drowning out Christians' ability to see things in an eternal perspective. The eternal perspective is not being taught today by liberal false teachers and churches. It's been replaced by the lusts of the world. The houses, the cars, the money, things that Christ said where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's this me, me, me mentality in churches today, and it's immoral and disparaging. It's sickening. Churches are not condemning sin. They're not preaching the gospel. And basically they've made the doctrine of self their God. Because if you listen to them, who's the focal point? It's about you and not God. Christians were told by our Lord and Savior to store up treasures and seek rewards in heaven, not here on earth. Scripture tells us to focus our eyes on God's dwelling place where Christ is and where he comes back to take us to himself. We have to get our eyes off of tangible earthly things. We need to instead trust on the intangible things of God. John 12, 25-26 says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who in this world will keep it for eternal life. Those are really strong words. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. If you live for God, serve God, and love God, he will take care of all things in our lives in our time here on this earth. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So how can we stop being anxious or worrying about nothing? It seems almost impossible, doesn't it? We're always worried about something. But it can be attained if we have our eyes, hearts, and minds on heaven and not on the things of this world. You know, but some of you may say, well, I have a debilitating disease and I may never recover from it. You may not. But you can look beyond it because God's grace is sufficient. And by his grace and mercy, you're still alive. Right? But even more, by his grace and mercy, he saved you. Isn't that more important? As a Christian, you already have victory when you die. You're awaiting a new body that is undying and incorruptible. Pain, disease, and sin-free forever. So instead of concentrating on the broken body that you now reside in, look toward the body in heaven that is to come. Keep your eyes focused from a perspective of God instead of the world because positionally your spirit is already in heaven with Christ Jesus anyway. 
Ephesians 2, 4, and 6 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that something to not look forward to? Now, I know in certain situations, some of you might say, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, how I'm going to support my family. You know, Stephanie and I, we know this one all too well. You know, I've been laid off because of downsizing from five different companies in nine years. It's not been an easy road, and basically any savings that we have, I'm going to say that wiped that out because you still have to keep things going. Friday night, the transmission in my car went out. I was in Seymour, 40 miles away from home. So the first thing I did was I kind of chuckled and I said, it's, it's all good, you know, and I called Stephanie and told her, say, hey, come, come get us. Right after I called her to come pick me up, she posted this on her Facebook. She said, and I quote, praise God, one thing after another, after another going wrong, but I will lift up my head and praise the Lord because he is God and he is forever on his throne. God is so good. And you know how good I felt sitting in that car reading that from my wife? You talk about somebody lifting you up. That's what that did. But she also quoted 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Please turn there. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And she also quoted Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. My wife was looking at this with an eternal perspective. Our Lord Jesus Christ told us not to worry about anything. In Matthew 6, 32-34, Christ said, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek God first. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why do we forget that God already knows what we need? Why do we do that? We forget about his sovereignty sometimes, don't we? Look at it this way. When we adhere to a worldly stance, we're taking the view of where Satan reigns from. Look at it that way. Because the earth is his domain. So, I would rather call it a satanic perspective instead of a worldly one, because I think it holds more weight and people might think twice about viewing their lives through the eyes of sinful flesh. When we take the outlook of where God resides in heaven, which is better? Heaven is, right? Okay. We may all say heaven, but then why do we always look towards hell? Be truthful. Are you viewing your life from a place where the devil sin, humanism, selfishness, wickedness, pride, and all forms of evil take residence? Or from heaven where Jesus sits at the right hand of God 
in all majesty, holiness, perfection, brilliance, and love. Which way are you looking at it from? Christ said the world will hate us as it hates him. Brothers and sisters, hear me. If the world hates you, then why do you love it so much? Do you want the world to love you or do you want God's love? As Christians, we should be honored to be hated by this world. Why? Because if the world hates us, then that means we're pleasing God and we're being loved by the Father, is what that means. They can hate me all day long. John 15, 18 through 19 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Does anything that we perceive that we need in this world have any eternal significance to it? No, none. Let me ask you a few questions. And be honest with yourself when I'm asking you these. Can you keep your eyes on Christ if you are looking at pornography or sexually themed TV shows and movies? Can you? No. Are your eyes only for your wife or husband? You might say, I only have eyes for my spouse. Okay. But is your mind for them as well? You know, I've heard people say that's impossible to do that. No, it's not. If you do as Paul said in Ephesians 5.25, love your wife as Christ loves the church, it goes the same way for wives towards their husbands. Jesus said, if you lust in your mind, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Men especially, you guys need to hear me. Jesus Christ would never bring shame to his bride. And neither should we. People that are single, you're not exempt from this either. It applies to you as well. Now, can you keep your consciousness on Christ if you're addicted to any drug, prescription drugs included, or getting drunk or gambling money away? Can you keep your discernment on Christ if your job or business is consuming you? What idol is distracting your view away from the sanctity of Jesus? Satan just keeps prodding thoughts over and over in our heads. Telling us that life would be so much better if we weren't married anymore. We could just have a few more beers. Or I could just fit in with co-workers. Or the church could just be more relevant to today's society. You know? Or I would be accepted if I looked like this or had that. Stop. Just stop with that line of thinking. What does any of that I just described have to do with anything of God in heaven. You cannot replace the need of God with any worldly thing. And that's all we try to do. And what happens? You'll remain miserable the rest of your life, Christian or not. Where's your mind at right now? Are they on the things of God? Maybe. But you are sitting in church hearing a sermon right now too. What about when you leave here? Do you jump back into the world? What are you doing today after church? What did you do last night? Pastor, you're judging. No, I'm not. But if I were, would I be judging rightly? 
Besides, it's not what I'm saying anyway. If something's bothering you, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you about the things that he's had me put down on this paper. Look, you guys understand me. I'm not going to tickle anybody's ears. I won't do it. That's something that the God's patriarchs, prophets, apostles, disciples, and Christ himself never did. Neither will I. Walk by faith. You're saved by grace. We need to act like it. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. You've got to look beyond this world and its snares and traps. Your best life now is not now. Your best life is the eternal life that is waiting for you with King Jesus. Look past this temporal and fleeting blip of time that we're here upon this earth. The 80, 90, 60, 50, however many years you're here on this earth, how does that compare to eternity? So if that is point, 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 zero, 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 zero to the umpteenth million percent of your part in eternity, should you be focused more on that or on eternity? What does Solomon say about the world, the things of this world and his viewpoint? In Ecclesiastes 1-2, he said, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And in verse 14, he said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Vanity is prideful selfism, and for some people, downright narcissistic. They just love themselves. Basically, people riding on their arrogant high horse. If that's not you, I'm sure you guys know people who do that. And are like that. You know, how puffed up do you have to be and how great do you think you are? Well, you know what? Satan also thinks this way. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who have weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mounts of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. There are millions of people, including Christians, who act just like this. They are their own God. But they'll say, I'm not God. And you know what I'm telling them in return? You're not acting like him either. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. So I would say that's telling us to act like God. Act like our Father. We are to imitate our Father. If you're not sold out for Jesus Christ, then you're following and chasing after idols. Yourself is included in that too. Matthew 23.12 says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. No one's below you. We all bow down to Jesus Christ. You have to realize that in the kingdom of God, your importance to you is not you. Brothers and sisters, we're supposed to push ourselves down so the Holy Spirit can be lifted up. The Holy Spirit is to do the work of Jesus Christ through you to save souls from eternal damnation. Where is your gaze? 
Is it in the reflection of a pool of water like Narcissus who fell in love with himself? Or is it looking past the horizon of the flesh towards paradise with God? Well, well, what about my feelings and my self-esteem? Don't they matter? No. It's not about our feelings and our self-esteem. It's never about us. We are not to be focused on ourselves and we cannot let feelings mislead us. Feelings can be selfish and can root up wrong intentions. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Self-esteem can do great harm to a person because they feel that they have to conform to the world standard for people. It is solely focused on them and not on Christ. Hence the word self-esteem. Shouldn't it be Christ-esteem? We are supposed to be all about Him, not us. Now on the reverse, people can also beat themselves up constantly. Having their minds bombarded by the hordes of hell that want to crush them mentally and make them fall into dead faith. Made to believe that their past is still there, they're not fit to be a Christian, no good for this life, and no one likes them. They feel outcast and unwanted. Nothing could be further from the truth in the eyes of God. In Psalm 147.3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We have a loving God who cares about every aspect of your life. You remedy these feelings and thoughts by reading your Bible. By praying and talking to God without ceasing. That doesn't mean pray 24-7. But when you're going out through your daily motions, you can be speaking to God about any situation that comes upon you. Any thought, Lord, what should I do here? Lord, how should I handle this? How should I handle this person? If you keep your mind on the things of God, the Holy Spirit will cast away these barriers blocking your Christian walk with God. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Why don't we fully trust the creator of the universe? Who can we trust more than God? Why not conform to the will of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But how do we do this? We're told by Scripture we have to die to ourselves. Philippians 1.21 For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So how can we die to ourselves when we constantly let feelings rule and run us? Think about it. Review a full day of your life and see how many decisions or actions that happened off of your feelings and not by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Basically knee-jerk reactions, not even that. You may have put a lot of thought into it for a long time, but you based it off of your feelings and not what God was telling you to do in that situation. How much of the day was focalized on you and how much was centered on Jesus Christ? Feelings can be very easily led into wrong motives. They can lead us into temptation and sin repeatedly. Proverbs 26.11, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. How many of us can relate to that verse? You know, bang your head against the wall saying, why do I keep doing this over and over again? 
falling into the same sin, the same temptation, the same desire, the same stupid, idiotic thing that I keep doing over and over and over again. Why am I doing it? Why do we want the destructive things of the world? The things that want to put an end to us. We keep doing it because we haven't turned to God, taken it to Him. We haven't asked Him to forgive us of these sins that we're doing, that we're staying in, that we don't want to let go of. And when we do that, we refuse to die to ourselves. To have a servant's heart, you have to understand that you are not the master of your life. Jesus Christ is. We all take our cup and want Christ to overflow it with blessings. But we refuse to keep our view on Christ and wait for it. We give up after days or even years of waiting. Since when do we operate on our own timetable? And especially here in America, we're about as impatient as people can get. Christians, listen. We have available to us the river of heaven. The living water that everlastingly refreshes, but we would rather lap our tongues in the cesspools of this world because we cannot wait upon our Savior and his appointed time to rejuvenate us and to answer our prayers. Matthew 14, 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? Everything in Scripture points to Jesus Christ. If God's word is total focus upon Christ, if he is at the center of all creation in the Bible, then why don't we do the same thing with our lives? When the legions of hell and the world tells us, you don't have to wait, come over here. We have something for you. Their pleasures await. Come over here. We can provide what you want now. You don't have to wait on him. That's when we have to stand our ground and be bold in Christ and say, I am resting and wait for Jesus Christ because he has waited for me. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He waited for us to come to him. How long in our lives before we finally gave our lives to Christ? So for us to wait, that shouldn't be a problem for us. I take God's promises as gold. I know that they're going to happen. If he promises you, he will do it. There has never been one promise broken in this Bible. Why would he do it to his sons and daughter who gave themselves to Christ? Fix your eyes on the Lord. Look past the mirror. Past your TV. Past your phone, your computer, your cars, your house, your family. Look beyond everything in this world and gaze upon the throne of God and see things from the perspective of heaven. Psalm 23, 1-6 The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David was walking by faith in God and not by the sight of seeing what was lying before him. God was with him because he believed in God with all of his heart. And you see David as an example. When David had an eternal perspective, things went well for him. When he fell into the flesh and had a worldly perspective, things got really bad for him.
Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. With faith, we don't have to understand the why, the what, and the when. We just need to know the who, which is God Almighty. We have to seek him continually, daily. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We just have to have faith in knowing that God has everything worked out for our good. If you have faith in that, you know things will all work out. Pretty self-explanatory. Faith is complete confidence and full trust in Him. Romans 1.17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is sovereign, being in total control of every aspect of our lives. Remember, we are in this world, not of it. Our citizenship is now elsewhere. That means we should all long to go home. Look towards going home. When you get on, go on vacation, you love it, you love it, you love it. But eventually you want to go home. We should want that even more for our heavenly home. Turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Sounds pretty good to me. But if you're unsaved, God's not with you. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If someone's not truly saved, the wrath of God is remaining. It's on them right now. I think people need to see that. Because nobody wants God's wrath upon them. Whether they're say, you know, they'll say that I don't believe in God. You tell them, well, God's wrath is upon you. They don't want to hear that. And for somebody that doesn't believe in God, that shouldn't bother them, but it will. Jesus said in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Another example of Christ made it clear that he's the only way to heaven. Being unsaved means you will go to hell. Period. You're going to hell. Jesus is the only one who can take you out of the never-ending burning lake of fire that is now reserved for you if you do not ask Christ to forgive you and save you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I've seen a lot of people that aren't Christians, they know that verse. You know, you just want to do something to make it stick, you know. Jesus said, He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. You can't be like this, wanting to serve God and looking back at the things that you need to give up. You have to be willing to turn from this world and turn your eyes towards Christ. The world, Satan, and your flesh are doing everything that they can to keep someone from taking that step and believing as Jesus is Savior. It happened with us. Now it's the same thing other people are going through who don't know Christ. But, you know, you have to tell them after Jesus 
becomes your Savior, once they put true repentance and belief in Him, you have to let them know it's not going to be an easy road. Because you still have the world, the flesh, and Satan still trying to tear them down after they become a Christian. They want to keep them tempted, pinned down, preoccupied, in doubt. They want them to not tell people what they've received from God. They never stop. We are at war from the day we're born until the day that we die. That war never stops. You know, I know some people believe it when they see it. But are you willing to trust God by walking by faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus said in John 20, 29, he said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. God who has everything and needs nothing wants you. Doesn't that say something about the love that he is? He needs nothing, but he wants us. Follow Jesus. Turn your eyes towards heaven. 